Welcome to Me Time, the podcast for women in midlife who've been taking care of everyone else and now say, it's my turn to take care of me. I'm Kim Aceto, health and self-care coach for women in midlife and your host. Thank you for spending your precious me time with me right now. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today I'm here with Dr. Sonia Wright. Let me tell you about Dr. Wright. Dr. Sonia Wright is a board certified radiologist, a sexual counselor, and a life coach. She received her education from Stanford University, University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, the Mayo Clinic, and the University of Michigan. She's on a mission to help women embrace their sexuality as well as end the emotional pain and isolation associated with sexual difficulties. She believes wholeheartedly that all women deserve to experience pleasurable sexual intimacy. Dr. Wright has a natural ability to put people at ease while discussing sensitive issues related to sex. She enjoys combining this natural ability with her medical knowledge, sexual counseling skills, and life coaching tools to create her unique brand of sex coaching. She tackles the hard issues by normalizing the situation and sharing helpful information while coaching from a caring and humorous perspective. Dr. Sonia Wright, welcome to the Me Time Midlife podcast. Thank you so much, Kim. I am so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, well, I can hear I can hear that smile um, from <laughs> from far away because you and I had a chance to connect and and uh, kind of have a Zoom and look at each other. And you just got a great smile. I bet it just lights up a room when you walk into it. <laughs> Do you ever get that? <laughs> People have told me that. Yes, I was blessed. I have my mother's smile. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. I love it. So uh, before we get into it, since you're a first-time guest, let me ask you the question I ask every first-time guest, which is what do you enjoy doing during your me time? You know, um, it's it's pretty simple. If I get a chance to just slow down and have some me time, you'll find me usually with a cup of tea, just relaxing in what I call contemplating my existence, which is just kind of thinking <laughs> and processing and just having some downtime. Cause I recognize that resting your brain is one of the best things that you can do for it. So that's usually what I do for my me time. Otherwise I like to walk and, um, and meditate a little bit. I'm not that great at it, but I still believe that it's a good thing to do. <laughs> so I'm still always trying to do it. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's really important to relax that brain. I think you're the first person to kind of talk about that. Um, you know, we talk about resting the body, but resting the brain as well, especially this day and age when there's just so many distractions and so much work and just all of that, right? It's important to step away from that mentally as well. So yeah, and great. I think especially now, since during the pandemic, everybody's mm -hmm. in their home, if they're working from home, like you're sitting in front of a computer and you're, you're, Using the, the intense level that we're uh, focusing and using the energy of our brain, we definitely need to make sure we balance it out with some downtime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So you, Sonia, are a midlife sex coach and we connected on LinkedIn and I'm very interested in what you do. And I think you have a lot of value to share with um, our audience and community. So let's just start with what led you to becoming a midlife sex coach? Yeah, that's always kind of fun. People are like, how does an x-ray doctor become a sex coach? Right. What exactly is up with that? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so 
know, I usually say that um, it was around the time that I was turning 50, a little before that, where I started to think, what do I want to do with the second half of my life? And I think when you hit 50, you start thinking about your legacy and the impact you want to have on this place after you leave, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm a, a doctor, physician. And at that time, there was a lot of burnout. And still now, there's a lot of burnout going on with physicians. And so I... Uh, trained as a life coach and I was a physician life coach for a number of years. And while I was doing my life coach business and work, I was also having my own issues in terms of intimacy in my relationship and lack of it. I should, I should be very clear. It was a lack of sexual intimacy in my relationship. And I had actually suffered in silence for a number of years because part of it was like, I kept thinking, I'm a doctor. I should be able to figure this out. I should be able to like juggle the kids and the job and to make sure there's intimacy still in the relationship. And I also, because I didn't know where to turn or who to talk to about this, but I figured it out and I went and I got some um, professional help and that was really wonderful. Unfortunately, my, my relationship did not survive, but I continued to do the work because I was like, I want to figure this out. I want to become that person that is self-actualized and really owns their sexuality and is able to incorporate that as part of herself. And so I continued doing the work and, um, and I got to this place where I was in another relationship and I was, um, it, I should stop for a second and say, it doesn't matter if you're in a relationship or not, the relationship with yourself and how you express your sexuality is actually the most important relationship you should have. But um, I had done the work to become a person very comfortable with my sexuality and I realized that there was probably other women that were dealing with the same issue. And so I decided I would go and get additional training as a life coach, or I should say additional training as a sexual counselor. So I did a year long program at the University of Michigan in sexual counseling. And then I added it to my life coaching skills and kind of came all together to become a sex coach and specifically for women in midlife, because I think the midlife, and, and I know we've talked about this as well, midlife is just an amazing time. This is when you get to decide who you're going to be, what you want to do, and you don't necessarily have to live by anybody else's rules. You get to define yourself, and I love working with women in the midlife range because they're they are defining and owning their own sexuality, so that's kind of how I went from being uh, an x-ray doctor to a sex coach, a midlife sex coach for women. Wow, that's an amazing story. I love it. And just, you know, you discovering yourself along the way, right? And it's, I'm sure that this has just been as much a rewarding experience for yourself as it is for the, the women that you work with. So that, that's wonderful. And the way you're explaining, you know, midlife people at this time of life, I mean, it's just, that's, I would, I would say the same for myself. I, it's just a very rewarding uh, demographic to work with. So I love that. Thank you for sharing. Now, what do, what would a woman in midlife come to you for? What, what are some common issues? The most common issue that a woman in midlife comes to me for is because she's feeling like something is wrong with her, that her libido is no longer there. And she's trying to figure out what's going on. And, and very often she comes, not necessarily because she wants to sort it out, but, but because she's getting a lot of feedback from her partner <laughs> that if things don't, con if they continue this way, then the relationship may be in jeopardy or, or whatever. But she's, she's at this place where she doesn't know what to do. Maybe she's been phoning in sex for a while where she hasn't really been enjoying herself, but she's just kind of doing it. I call that to-do list sex where you're focused on efficiency and getting that off your list as opposed to really enjoying it. So most women come to me because they feel like, 
there's something wrong, they're broken, they're no longer interested in sex, uh, or that they come to me because they've heard that sex is great, but they've never experienced that great sex. <laughs> and they're like, you know, I'm in my 40s. If I don't get it now, <laughs> what am I supposed to be getting it, right? So, so there's a lot of different things, reasons that they come. Um, but a lot of it is this feeling like there's broken or something's wrong and, and usually around the issue of their libido. Mm, interesting. So I'm sure there are many, but what are some of the top misconceptions about sex in midlife? There are so many. The, the top one that I'm going to give right now is because I, I want to dispel this myth, uh, is that we kind of stop being sexual in our midlife and that, that we just kind of, it kind of phases out or something, right? And that's not the case at all. In terms of midlife, like I'm talking, most of my clients, you know, they actually range in age from about 32 to 73, right? So it's a pretty wide range as to who defines themselves. And it's mainly just, you know, if they hear my message and it appeals to them, it resonates with them. But in terms of, um, you know, the people that are coming to me and they, they want the help and they're trying to figure out what's going on, um, it's really the myths around women in midlife is that we're no longer sexual, like we're gonna phase it out in our 40s. And that's not the case at all. We are sexual beings, we get to be sexual beings in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, like to the day we pop off. So I'd say the number one myth is somehow um, that our sexuality kind of trails off or it, it dissolves or you know something happens and suddenly we don't have um, sex anymore and we're not sexual beings. So I'd say that's definitely the number one myth. Um, Another myth is, is around libido, like I mentioned, that uh, you have libido when you're younger and then you get to a certain age and you no longer have libido and you're broken and something's wrong. That's definitely not true. Your libido can be shifting and the shifting libido is like, maybe it was more of a spontaneous libido at the beginning of your relationship or when you were younger. And now it's shifted into more of a responsive type of libido. And people think that because with a responsive libido, they're coming from a place of neutrality where you could be interested in sexual intimacy or not interested in sexual intimacy. And so they feel like something has gone wrong and there's broken. So the myth would be that something's wrong and they're broken. And the actuality is that 70% of women function from this place of responsive libido. And it's just a matter of figuring out how to get your libido to kick into gear, as opposed to it, you wake up in the morning and it's spontaneous and it's right there and you're ready to go. Um, you're more on the responsive side now, which you are juggling a number of different things, maybe stress at work, maybe teenage kids, whatever it is that you're juggling in your life makes it such that your libido is not your top priority, but it is still there and it still is in you. And there's a number of different ways to tap into it. And then I work with, with women to figure out how to tap into that libido and also how to make it something pleasurable for them. You know, that, this gets into the next, you know, you, you can tell me when you want me to stop because there's so many <laughs> women. It's like, I'm no, going into the next one now, which is- Give us another um, one, give us another Another one, one is about um, sex being about, um, your partner's pleasure and not necessarily about your pleasure. It's about um, uh, meeting the needs of your partner and not necessarily of yourself. And like they, they are your top priority, right? And, uh, and I'm going to talk in the context of um, mainly heterosexual couples, because when we see in terms of like a pleasure gap, you've, maybe you've heard of this concept of a pleasure gap. And this is the gap where um, like, if we're talking about 
heterosexual couples engaging in, in sexual intimacy, the men are enjoying themselves at a level of like 85, 90% of the time in terms of pleasure and getting their needs met and enjoying life. But women are like more at 65% in terms of the enjoyment, in terms of the sexual intimacy act, and if they're getting pleasure out of it or if they're just doing it because they need to do it. Now I mentioned the heterosexual couples because when we see women having sex with women, it's more likely that they both are on an equal plane in terms of the amount of of pleasure they're having with sexual intimacy, which tends to be in the 80s to 90 percentile. And also if we're talking about men having sex with men, um, then that's also in the 80s to 90s per, uh, percentile. Um, but when we're talking about like heterosexual type of sexual encounters, women's pleasure is like 65% versus men being at 85, 90. There is a gap, a pleasure gap, just like there is a wage earning gap. There is a pleasure gap going on around the world actually, right? So if we're looking at the myth that, um, you know, you're supposed to meet the needs of your partner, well, uh, it, it's not necessarily going both ways, right? So I think that uh, it's not about meeting the needs of your partner as much as each person in the relationship in the Sexual Intimacy Act agrees to meet their own needs and make sure that their own pleasurable needs are met. And then you just come together and you enjoy each other, but you make sure that you, advocate for yourself like if you need and and also you're just taking responsibility for your body and understanding and knowing your body and knowing what gives you pleasure it's a lot to put on your partner that they're going to be responsible and here comes another myth that your partner is responsible for your pleasure in any way that that's just a myth you are responsible for your own pleasure you're responsible for um asking for what your needs are you are responsible for um enjoying your body and knowing your body, knowing your about your structures of your body, understanding and knowing about your vulva. So there's, I could go on, I could keep going on. There's always, um, so, and, and then another myth is that you shouldn't have to work at it. Somehow sex and sexual intimacy should be spontaneous and that you shouldn't have to work at it. Anything that's important in your life, you have to work at. And this is, this is no different. It, it doesn't necessarily, so maybe if you're in your 20s, it might've been a more spontaneous type of situation. And now you're in your 40s and 50s and beyond, and maybe you need some lubrication. Maybe your mind is engaged, but your body is not ready. Like you need to work on whatever. Maybe your libido is coming from a place of neutrality. So you need to understand what are the triggers that make you more interested in sex. So there are different ways that you have to engage and invest energy in your sexual intimacy acts now that you may not have had to do in the past, but that's also a myth to think that it should be spontaneous and just come easily. And, and we get ourselves in trouble when we start thinking that that, that is the case as well. Okay, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, we could go on and on because I bet these are all such juicy myths. I mean, oh, but, um, but yeah, that's interesting, the pleasure gap. And um, I, I've never heard of that, but that's, that's really, really interesting. Um, and why do you think that is with uh, heterosexual couples more than same-sex couples? There's more of that gap. Yeah, why do you think that there's this pleasure gap? Uh, I think that also part of it could be cultural uh, and society deems that men get to be sexual and women don't necessarily get to be sexual, uh, that men can ask for what their needs are and expect their needs to be met, whereas women don't necessarily. There is a preponderance of, focus upon penetrative sex 
where if we look at the anatomy of a woman, the majority of her pleasurable areas are on the outside in the vulva region. The clitoris is an incredible uh, structure on the human body and it's only made for pleasure. So women are supposed to engage and enjoy pleasure but if we think that the pleasure area is inside of the vagina, it's not. The, the area inside the vagina, well, there's like the G-spot and that's more sensitive, right? But the majority of the vagina is not that sensitive. And there's a reason for it, right? Because a baby has to come out of there. If it were very sensitive and had a huge amount of nerve endings, it would be an extremely excruciating experience to give birth right? So our pleasurable structures are on the outside of our, our, of the vulva region, not within the vagina. So we need to have an understanding. And, and here we go again. So like 75 to 85% of women will not have an orgasm for penetrative sex alone, but society and whatever says that um, penetrative sex is the way we're supposed to have pleasure, right? We need direct stimulation to our clitoris, to our vulva region. That's what we need. 75 to 85% of women will need direct stimulation to their vulva region in order to have pleasure with sex and in order to have an orgasm. But the focus is on penetrative sex, which if we kind of look at the heterosexual sexual intimacy model, there's somebody that would like to penetrate and somebody that's penetrated, right? And the person that is penetrating is getting a, a lot of pleasure from this. And so society says that men get to be sexual and men's pleasure comes from penetration. So therefore that's kind of the way that it's been looked at, but we need to recognize that when women are getting the pleasure that they want and advocating for themselves, they're going to be enjoying sex more and everybody's gonna be happier. And so it is important that, that the pleasure and the focus on both partners is equal, but women also have a tendency to defer and to think that their pleasure is optional, but not required, you know? And, and so often women are focused on, I have 12 things that I need to get done today. If I could just get this over with in 15 minutes, then I'm gonna get on to the next thing, as opposed to recognizing that sex and sexual intimacy can be something pleasurable for them, relaxing, and helps with um, engaging, connecting. Now, obviously I'm not saying this is going on in all heterosexual couples, that there's the majority of partners in general want to make sure that everybody that's in the Sexual Intimacy Act is enjoying themselves, right? And th But this is also a lot of responsibility. Women don't own their sexuality. So a lot of the responsibility they're putting on their partners, which is a lot for their partners to figure out. Women need to own their sexuality. They need to understand how their body works. They need to recognize where their pleasure is and, and then just come together. And my last point is, um, Toys, add the toys in, have fun with that. If you need a little stimulation to your clitoris while you're being penetrated, if you wanna put a, a vibrator on your clitoris, go for it, enjoy yourself. This is, if you're enjoying yourself and engage, you'll engage in more pleasurable sex and you'll have more pleasurable intimacy over extended period of time. And um, yes, I'll stop at that moment. <laughs> yeah, I love your perspective that, um, you know, your your sexual pleasure is your responsibility, not your partner's, right? To put that pressure on them. And you think about in a heterosexual uh, relationship, I mean, I mean, I, under I understand if like, men in their 20s, they don't know how to have sex. They don't know how to pleasure a woman. Like, you know, they, they don't know. Um, but you would assume, or I would assume that by the time men are in midlife, maybe they have a little more understanding of what 
gives women pleasure and what doesn't. But then you look at porn and it's all penetrative sex. And the, the woman is having an, it looks like she's having an amazing time. Right. And so men get this idea that women like to be penetrated in that way. And that's what gives them pleasure. And women think that they should be feeling pleasure by being penetrated as well. Right. So that there's a, there's a disconnect there. Yeah. And you know, I don't know how many women have come to me and they're like, I don't really have an orgasm from penetrative sex. And they are thinking something is wrong with them. And I'm like, yeah, 85% of women don't have an orgasm from penetrative sex alone. But for some reason, it, like you say, in pornography and just society in general, we have this concept that penetrative sex is the best sex to have. And this is the way that it should be done. Right. But we need to recognize that. Um, no, that's, it doesn't necessarily. And also, when we define sexual intimacy as only penetrative sex, as we get to this point where uh, if you have a partner that has a penis and they may be having erectile dysfunction issues over a period of time, then if you have such a narrow definition of sex and sexual intimacy, then that's when the sexual intimacy fades out of the relationship. We don't want that to fade out and it does not need to fade out. Obviously, if there's erectile dysfunction issues going on, you talk to the, the man should talk to his urologist, but also to your primary physician, because sometimes erectile dysfunction is related to underlying cardiovascular issues most of the time. And so that's something that needs to be um, sorted out and looked at. But at the same time, we need to recognize that we're defining sexual intimacy. If you get creative and define it in so many different ways, then you will continue to be a sexual individual throughout your lifespan because it's not dependent on penetrative sex. And you get to define it however you want to define your sexual intimacy and you get to have a good, healthy sexual intimacy relationship with yourself and with any partners that you choose over your lifespan, as long as you're not just focused on such a narrow definition of sex and sexual intimacy. Mm, makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, Sonia, so I, I um, have some rapid fire questions if you're up for it from the ladies in um, my Me Time Midlife community on Facebook. Are you up for some specific Let's questions? Do it. Yeah. All right. Okay. So here we go. Here's the first one Are there medical benefits of having sex on a regular basis? And are there negative health benefits if you're not having sex regularly? Yes. And I'm going to define sex as sexual intimacy with yourself, uh, self pleasuring, or with a partner or partners, however you choose to have it. So in terms of um, positive things for uh, sexual intimacy, just physiologically, it, it's just, it's a wonderful thing. You keep, you, you kind of, uh, I'm trying to think how to, how to say this without, I'm like trying to answer the question separately. And I think I'm just going to put them together. So basically you want to make sure that you have blood flow going to your vulva region. If you don't have blood flow going to your vulva region, where you have blood flow is when you masturbate and also when you engage in sexual intimacy. If you don't have blood flow going to your genitalia and as we get older and our hormones are, uh, androgen and estrogen testosterone levels as they start to drop, then we can uh, start having problems with uh, atrophy of the vulva region and of the vagina, which uh, the circumference will get smaller. The length of the vaginal vault will shorten as well. The tissue will become more fragile and friable. Uh, all these things are very important to, to keep uh, the sexual intimacy and the blood flow 
going to your genitalia and also to look into hormones if, if it's something you need to do because there's systemic hormones, but there's also localized hormone place replacement for just the vaginal and the vulva region. So that's something um, that would be important to look at. Uh, in terms of the benefits of self-pleasure and, and sexual intimacy, sexual um, having sexual intimacy with somebody else, it brings you closer to yourself and to somebody else. It decreases your stress level. It helps you sleep better. You just feel better in the world when you're uh, when you're suppressing a part of yourself and not engaging in sexual intimacy. Then I think that sexual intimacy and sexuality is very closely tied to creativity. And I also feel that you're not necessarily expressing all of yourself if you're not able to tap into your sexual intimacy or your sexuality and express that part of yourself. So that's, there's also that, there's uh, talk about that it improves your immune system. There's so many different things that are, you know, oxytocin after you have an orgasm and, and then you bond closer to your partner. And, and if you have the sexual intimacy, you also want the overall intimacy and the communication. It's another form of connecting. So there are a lot of medical benefits and reasons why you would want to engage in sex at, with yourself or with somebody else. And then there's also reasons that if you don't necessarily engage and for all women that are perimenopausal or menopausal, I would suggest that you look at um, general urinary syndrome of menopause, which is GSM. It's something that's not talked about as much as it really should be talked about. And that's basically when your hormones are decreasing and, um, and you're going to be having issues with atrophy in the vulva region, but you can also predispose yourself to infections as well if you're not taking care of your vulva and vagina region. And so we don't necessarily want that to be a case. So, um, so there's a lot of reasons why you want to keep your health up and you want to continue to engage in sexual intimacy. Great. Thank you. Next question, a specific one here. How can you get your husband to understand that just because you are wet doesn't mean you are ready? Yes. Now, this is an important question because there's um, this discordance that's going on, basically. Now, we need to understand that we have our mind and we have our body. Our body will respond to sexual cues and sexual stimulation, but it does not necessarily mean our mind is in the zone where we are ready to engage. And for women to be ready, it's the mind and the body together, right? And so if there's, uh, just because somebody is lubricated does not mean that they are ready to engage in sex. And the opposite as well, just because somebody is not lubricated does not mean that they're not ready, but that then they may need to add on some lubricants and things like that. So there's discordance where the mind and the body are not in alignment and, and, it can look like physically somebody's ready, but emotionally and mentally, they may not be in that place because you have to be very vulnerable if you're engaging in sexual intimacy. And you also need to have your mind engaged and go to that place where you're tapping into your erotic zones and you're just, you're ready for the experience. Um, but your body is, re is, is responding to physical stimulation but your mind also needs to respond to the erotic stimulation and to get to this place where you're interested in sex. And, mm -hmm. and that's very common. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Um, okay. This one, maybe it could just be a yes or no uh, mm -hmm. answer. Is coconut oil a good lubrication? 
<laughs> the answer is going to be maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe. Okay, we'll go ahead and elaborate. <laughs> so it can be, it can be, it just depends on the person. Some people use coconut oil and they like it and it works well for them. Some people are very sensitive and get immediately irritated by it. And they're like, I will never put that on my vulva region ever again. So you need to know if, if this is something that's good for you. Obviously you'd want to get a high quality grade, but uh, you get to determine if this is something that you want to use or not. But I'm not saying that it is it, that it works for everybody. I know that some people are sensitized to it and they would never, ever, ever use it. And then some people think that it's the best thing ever. So it's a maybe. Mm, okay, great, great. Uh, last question, Sonia. Um, how to gain, how to regain libido at 56 after a long period of relational stress and now the relationship is healthy? So you talked about libido a little earlier, but that's yeah, a specific question. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if we're talking about a relationship that has been strained at a certain place and you have put in, first of all, congratulations on putting in the effort to make the relationship healthy, because that is the most important factor here. And so you have built that foundation of now a healthy relationship. You don't have to jump right into having sex. What you can do is focus on the touch, connect with each other, Communication, open communication is important. There's something called sensate focus that you could look into, which focuses on non-sexual touch with your partner. And then over exterior extended period of time, getting to a place of sexual touch. So that is something that um, you can look into, but basically it's about the com communication, the satisfaction, the pleasure. So maybe it's just a part where you start with the communication and the connection. And then at some point, get to that place where the, the physical body is touching each other, holding hands, kissing, taking it slow, right? There's nothing that means you have to jump back into it because the trust needs to be there and the vulnerability needs to be there in order to get to this place, right? And it, it has been, it sounds like there were some issues in the past. So you just have to re, re, create and to re-knit and make that tighter with the, the, and stronger, the connection, the communication, the trust, and take your time with it. There's nothing that needs to be done like in an instant. Just take your time with it. Go back to the kissing sides of, of things. Recognize that sexual intimacy, as I mentioned before, is not necessarily just penetrative sex. Maybe you uh, go through the touch phase and the kitchen phase, and then maybe you decide to engage in the oral sex phase, like you get to decide how you want to do this, but make sure that both people are comfortable, that both people are enjoying this. And, and also make sure that both people understand that if any point they're not feeling that safety that they need to feel, emotional safety, and obviously physical safety, that they can stop and slow down and see if they can regain and get back to that place. But there's nothing that says that you need to go from zero to hundred within a day. And, and so I applaud you for making your relationship stronger and healthier, and you can just go at your own pace and figure out making sure that you focus on both of you being comfortable and both of you being happy as you work through this process and getting to the pleasure. So I always say satisfaction, connection, pleasure, those are the main things. Um, and then just go from there. You'll be okay. Mm, I love it. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sonia. Um, I'm going to put your, your link to your website in the show notes. So it's Sonia Wright with a W MD.com. Is that right? And uh, yes. you are on Instagram and Facebook. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Okay, great, great. So we'll make sure we'll put that uh, in the show notes as well. Um, Sonia, so you work with your uh, clients virtually as well, I'm sure during COVID. <laughs> oh yes, I only I've always been virtual. So I work Wonderful. with clients across the country and I do 
group coaching for women specifically. It's called an Own Your Sexuality program, where we go from the basics of where you are right now to getting you comfortable with your body. We look at anatomy, we look at libido, we look at um, different aspects of sexuality and sexual intimacy. We look at the body uh, and people's idea of body images and how that relates to sexual intimacy. And then we actually help you build up a plan so that by you finish the, by the time you finish the program, you have a plan for the sexual intimacy that you want to be engaging in. And so I do that in group. It's anonymous and no videos are on or anything like that. But I also do individual coaching one-on-one -on -one and I do that virtually as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, last question. This one's from me. Um, let's say you had a chance to have a billboard up and midlife women were going to be driving by it every day. What would your, what would you put on that billboard for midlife oh, women to see? Wow. That's an incredible question. What would I put on this? I would put on the, it would probably have a lot of different bullet points, but basically <laughs> it would be about owning your sexuality for you, that you deserve pleasure. You get to deserve, you deserve to create the sex life of your dreams. You get to be sexual and express your sexuality throughout your lifespan. And you don't have to deal with, uh, like emotions like uh, guilt and shame and judgment, things like that. You, you can let all that go and you can enjoy your sexuality. You're meant to be a sexual person and you deserve to enjoy yourself. Oh, that's wonderful. I love it. Thank you so much, Sonia, for coming onto the podcast. Really enjoyed having you here. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. If you find the Me Time Midlife podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. The best way is to simply tell your midlife friends about it. It also helps the show's visibility if you rate and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or simply directly in your Apple Podcasts app if you listen to the show that way. And if you want more Me Time in your life and continue the conversations we have on the show with other women on a similar journey, consider joining our Me Time Midlife Community on Facebook. Simply search for Me Time Midlife Community in your Facebook search bar or go to metimemidlifepodcast.com to learn more. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, remember, you've been taking care of everyone else. It's your turn to take care of you.